0: This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darragh, Gunungurra and Tharawal Nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards Organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. And welcome to today's podcast with me, James Roy. I'm your host today. This is the WestWords podcast, and as you heard at the top of the show, WestWords is a uh, literature organisation based in Western Sydney, and part of our job—well, most of our job—is to assist uh, people who love literature and love stories, either as a uh, as, as an audience member or as an artist who likes to create. And so, we run a whole range of programs across Western Sydney for schools, although at the moment schools has been a bit of a funny one because we're in the middle of, I don't know if any, anyone's noticed, uh, have you guys noticed that we're in the middle of some kind of global event that has meant that people can't go to school in the same way, they certainly can't, certainly people who are writers and, and artists can't visit schools in the same way. Uh, what the wash up of all this is going to be years down the track in terms of education and the way we conduct ourselves in business and Who knows? It's it's just such a a crazy time, isn't it? But uh, I've got a couple of good news stories for you today. Now, first of all, I want to apologise that there's been a bit of a gap between the last podcast and this one. That's down to a couple of factors, but um, from a personal point of view, the main factor is that I've been pretty ill, and in fact, it's okay. I've had the test. If anyone's wondering and they uh, are concerned for me, I'm I'm sure you're not. But if you are, I've had the test. It's all negative. It's all fine. Uh, But this is something that I've suffered from uh, the age of, oh, well, I'm 52 this year and uh, I've been suffering for this for about 52 years. Uh, every year about this time of year I get terrible, um, larynge- get a bit of a chesty thing and I get laryngitis which makes podcasting very difficult to do when you don't have a voice and you can probably still hear I sound a little bit like Tom Waits but um, anyway, that's not such a ba- sort of bad thing if, if Tom Waits is your jam but uh, it's not great for podcasters. So uh, we're going to do our best today to, um, to give you some good news on the podcast, so let's get into it. Something that we have always done on this podcast is celebrate uh, the life or something salient that somebody has said who happens to have either been born on this day in history or sometimes passed away on this day in history or events that occurred on this day in history. Um, I've got a couple today. The first one, look, I've got to be honest, it's not a person, it's a, an event. And it was 1977, so what's that? That's uh, 53, no, it's not, six, 43 years ago, is that right? I don't know, something like that, 43 years ago. The TRS-80 personal computer was announced and launched onto the market. Uh, I remember the TRS-80 pretty well from back when I was a, a kid in primary school. My brother was very, is much more into computing than I am and, and was then. And I remember that uh, the Micro B and the TRS-80 were two of the early uh, personal computers that really paved the way for, um, well, I'm, I'm recording this podcast right now on a, on a MacBook Air, and I think that if we could have looked back then at what personal computing was going to become, uh, I think we would, we'd be kind of staggered. I mean, I remember seeing the first Apple Macintosh when it came out. It was just that little shoebox-sized shoe thing with a little screen on the front. And um, I spotted one the other day on Seinfeld, actually, in the background. Jerry's got one on his desk. But I remember seeing one of those at a, a science expo in about, oh, about 80, 83 or 84 and the mouse was a thing. And it was the first time any of us had ever seen a mouse. And at the time it was like, how can you possibly use that little thing with the, the, the cord attached to actually um, do anything on the screen? It was, a, it was a weird idea. And of course now uh, we, we wouldn't be able to do what well, we would be able to work it out. But you know, what we do on the computers these days is so contingent on the fact that we use, use the mouse uh, of course, you know we're moving into touchscreens a lot more now, but the mouse and the and the trackpad and these sorts of things—that idea of using finger gestures or hand movements to control what was happening on the screen beyond a keyboard—was it was a bizarre thought. And now, of course, we look back back on that and we go, "Oh wow, that was so antiquated and what a what a you know obvious idea." And the TRS eighty is a little bit like that. You look back and at some of the software and the um, the basic programming, and I use that term in. Both the sense of it was fairly uh, elementary, but it was also basic was the name of the recording or the uh, software language. And I remember in anyone, who's, um, anyone who's more than 45 will remember those uh, classes that we used to run where we, or we used to have at school where we would sit down and write lines of code to make something guess a number and then you'd tell you higher or lower. And it was just these very simple little algorithms and now, of course, coding is a very, very important part of our life. If not doing the coding, certainly enjoying the, uh, the benefits of that coding in the, in the applications we use and the computers we use and so forth. So I thought it was worth mentioning that because um, while I don't believe that you need a computer to write a book or a story or a poem, and, and some people argue that you do a better poem... You write a better poem if you're not working on a computer, if you're just working longhand on the paper, on the page. But, uh, look, I think where we are as writers is, has been vastly improved by the ability we have to use a computer to re- record those words and save them and, and bring them back and change them and see them all in one place and search them and, and all those things that, we, that young people of these current generations take so much for granted... The TRS-80 was at the very forefront of that. So for the people who came up with the TRS-80, thank you uh, from all of us who are writers and, and and creators. But that's not really the quote. Sorry about that little ramble, but that's not really the quote I was going to go for today. The one I'm going for today is from P.D. James. P.D. James is a, was, she passed away a couple of years ago. She was a crime writer. Now, she's an English crime writer, and she would have been... One hundred today. So happy birthday, P.D. James. She's an English crime writer. Uh, she wrote a whole bunch of books, a whole a huge raft of crime novels, but her most famous detective was Adam Dalglish. And she wrote 14 Adam Dalglish books, and they went on to be made into TV shows and movies and, and whatnot. She ended up with seven honorary doctorates from universities all over the United Kingdom. And the fact that it's the United Kingdom is fairly fairly kind of pertinent to this because uh, P.D. James was also a signatory to a large, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Um, petition to keep Scotland from seeking independence when they had their Mm -hmm. independence referendum. But that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is that P.D. James was a rather successful and uh, much-loved Crime writer, So I've got a couple of quotes from her. And the first one is this. No literary form is more revealing, more spontaneous, or more individual than a letter. Maybe I'll repeat that. No literary form is more revealing, more spontaneous, or more individual than a letter. And that ties pretty neatly in with the other quote that I found from P.D. James, and it was this one. All fiction is largely autobiographical and much autobiography is, of course, fiction. And I think that if you're looking for an exercise as a writer that will help you tap into a particular character, and this is an exercise I have used myself in the past with with students of all ages and and abilities, is to, if you think you have a little bit of a handle on a character, interview them or get them to write a letter in their voice. And you'll be surprised at how quickly you get a handle on who they are, what makes them tick, and, of course, that big question that fiction writers are always looking for, um, what do they want? What do they want more than anything? And then once, of course, you have that answer, then you know what you're going to do to them in your story to, to introduce some drama that's based around the person that is your main character. But a really nice exercise to try is if you have a character that you're struggling a little bit, get them to write a letter to you explaining themselves, telling you about who they are, uh, describing their life. And you might be surprised at how quickly you get a really strong handle, or a really strong idea of who they are. So thank you, P.D. James, for those two telling little quotes. Happy birthday. Should have been out 100 today. And uh, next... We'll be looking at somebody who has tapped into this autobiographical uh, fiction idea as well. So, Jessie Tu, spelled T U, Jessie Tu, is a a new writer, new ish writer from Western Sydney. She trained as a classical violinist for a decade and a half. She was frustrated in her ability to become a professional musician, although she did teach music at a number of schools around Western Sydney. She also taught violin and music at refugee camps in the Middle East. She volunteered with AusAid in the Solomon Islands. She completed residencies in the United States, and now she's working as a journalist at Women's Women's Agenda. She's won several poetry and writing awards, and her first book of poetry was released in 2018. But Alan Anunwin has just published... This month, her first novel, which is called A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. And this is a story about someone who is a child prodigy, plays the violin, and uh, is struggling a little because her professional life is, has turned into a bit of a drudge. And she thinks a life she has always dreamed of as a musician is about to kick off uh, when, when she gets an internship with the New York Philharmonic. But uh, New York changes with the election of Donald Trump. So this book is about uh, a young woman who, in spite of the awkwardness and pain of being human in an increasingly dislocated world, uh, still attempts to become the person that she wants to be. And it's been described as a dazzling and original debut from a young writer with a fierce, intelligent and audacious voice. So uh, here's... uh, Jessie too, reading from her book, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing.
1: I'm going to read from Chapter 6, so quite early on in the book. And uh, all you need to know is that uh, this is a bit of a sort of background into what she was like, um, the main character. Her name is Jenna. What kind of uh, education she had while she was young and she didn't go to normal school. Um, she was homeschooled mostly. Um, and so this chapter sort of describes her um, about one year while she was at school. I wasn't always a dishonest kid, though I certainly wasn't a typical kid either. I do recall the year or so I had a normal life, year one. I was Mrs R's favourite student. In the classroom, I sat on the carpet with my legs crossed, back straight. When Mrs R gave an instruction, I would bowl straight to it. I was always eager to be loved, especially by my teachers. Jenny Lee was the only other Asian in my class. She was much prettier than me, though I didn't know it back then. I just thought people preferred her because her skin was much whiter than mine. I had darker skin back then. I was bark, dirt, milk chocolate. I didn't mind it though. Sometimes people thought I was Native American, which made me feel special because I loved Pocahontas. She was dark-skinned and beautiful. A white man with a plain name fell in love with her. After seeing that movie, I began to believe that it was possible for someone like me to be loved, or at least to be noticed by a man, the right kind of man. Before Jenny Lee, before Mrs R., There was the violin. My mother told me I'd begged for lessons after I saw someone playing on television in preschool. I don't remember. By the time I started year two, I'd been playing for two and a half years and had competed in three competitions in Australia. My mother wanted me to stay in school, though she'd been told by her friends that a child with my talent should be sent away to America, to Germany, Those places sounded like suburbs or towns I'd not yet visited because my parents didn't have time to take us anywhere. I'd only seen the city a handful of times when my mother took us to my father's dental surgery in Chinatown. I forgot to eat sometimes, I was so consumed by practice. When it became really bad during the first year of touring, this was when I was eight, my mother kept a food diary to make sure I ate at regular hours. Her bag was full of muesli bars, Tubes of nuts and dried fruit. I found toilet breaks distracting too. Every second away from the violin made me anxious. Later, they called me obsessive compulsive and tried to medicate me, but I refused to take anything in case it affected my playing. When I was six, I performed at a festival on an open stage. After my last note, the clapping started. I stayed and smiled and took several bows. But then my mother raced onto the stage and pulled me off. In the toilet, my stockings wet and warm, she asked why I hadn't gone off stage. The clapping was for me, I said. I was only six but had already acquired the language of self-abuse. Mrs R often asked me to bring my violin into class, usually on Fridays. I was a stand-in for the kids who forgot to bring in their show-and-tells. I remember playing with half my mind occupied by what my hands were doing, the other half on the kids sitting cross-legged in front of me, chins in hands, backs curved. Some of them dozed off. Some of them looked intrigued at first, but then quickly lost interest. I hated seeing how easily I bored them. I wanted to be liked like Stacey Williams, who was a gymnast and showed off tricks in the playground, bending in unusual places, making her body do magical, wonderful things. I wanted to be liked the way Stacey Williams was liked, but my violin never gave me much of a chance. The violin is the instrument of the highly-strung alpha types – hard-working, obsessively disciplined kids. No wonder string sections around the world are dominated by Asians. In the playground I was called Stringer, the violin nerd didn't have the same ring. Stringer followed me around that entire year. I was too scared to tell Mrs R about the name calling. What if she told me to stop playing the violin? If I didn't have the violin, I would be no one. I worked hard to be good. Even before I could write an entire sentence in English, I could play all the Mozart sonatas with my eyes closed. While the kids in my class went on to the ovals on Saturdays to kick balls, I was practicing the violin in my room. I missed out on camps, discos and sports carnivals, instead doing competitions, recitals and solos. My sister, Rebecca, entered competitions too, but they were different, modelling contests and beauty pageants. Her talent was being beautiful, which I thought was bullshit because being beautiful isn't something one works hard to get. She was just born with that face. What kind of talent is that? I was jealous of her face because it seemed to win people over straight away while I had to work hard to get people to notice me. People only noticed me when I did something extraordinary, which was only when I was the best.
0: So that was Jessie too reading from her book a lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, published by Alan and Unwin. Um, now, I'm going to be interviewing Jesse for our YouTube channel. And you can find our YouTube channel with a whole bunch of readings on I think we're up to something, 12 or more readings now from Western Sydney Writers. Uh, by going to YouTube and look, searching for West Words Official, all one word, West Words Official. And I'm going to be interviewing Jesse for the interview section of that in the next week or two. Once I get a voice back and we can get things all uh, up and going. But I'm really looking forward to that because she's strong new talent in the adult literary fiction world in this country. And she's from Western Sydney, so that's even better. So this podcast is advertised as news, views and interviews. So let's get to the news because we've got a couple of pretty exciting things to share with you. Uh, If you are a writer of advanced uh, ability or further along in your career than most, we've got uh, opportunities for you. But today, I want to talk about it, talk about a couple of opportunities for people who are perhaps closer to the beginning of their career. So the first one I want to talk about is our fellowships. Now the Westwards fellowships, we've just um, we're just signing off on the on the three from this last year just gone, the twenty twenty fellows, and they were. Claire Cow, Aisha Ali, and Erin Sayers, and Erin and Aisha have both done fantastic videos, which are also available on the YouTube channel, the WestWords official YouTube channel, under the playlist Wise Words. Uh, They're fantastic videos. Uh, Erin's talking about uh, world building. Aisha's talking about the science of subversion, and that's hard to say with a croaky voice. Subversion. And uh, I'm currently finishing up the video, editing the video for Claire, who's looking at place in writing. But they've all done a terrific job, but it's time now to turn to next year's fellows and see if we can't find three uh, writers who are needing that first real step up in their career. So the first three people will, these three people will be Western Sydney writers who are Early career, so without any major publications yet. So they're very much an emerging writer. Uh, They'll have a project that they're working on. They'll have a project that is largely completed and really just need that final push to to finish that draft and want to work with a mentor. And so uh, we – and there's also money attached, $4,000 for each of the successful fellows. So you'll have mentorship, you'll have a little bit of cash to hopefully take some time off work or, or work on or building up a library or whatever it might be, $4,000 worth of, of cash plus mentorship with uh, people that we handpick for you. You, you basically, if, if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you'll remember the interview with Claire Cow where I revealed to her that uh, she was actually going to be mentored by one of her heroes, uh, Melina Marchetta, and she was pretty thrilled by that. So we try, and, um, we try and pair you with uh, people who, who write similar stuff to what you write and will be great mentors for your career. For example, Erin Sayers had Ben Peake, who was a fantasy and genre writer, and she found him really, really helpful in, in what she was uh, working on. But we've had a pretty good hit rate uh, with our fellows, uh, two of our very first fellows some years ago. One was Vanessa Berry who went on to have a very very successful writing career but uh, is also now a, a, a professor or a, or a lecturer in creative writing at Macquarie University. She had a really interesting uh, first, one of her early works was where she went to every op shop in, in Western Sydney and uh, wrote about it, which doesn't sound like a Terribly thrilling idea, but what she did with it was really very interesting. She also wrote a, uh, a book about the High Street Penrith shopping arcades. You know, those little narrow laneway arcades that go through High Street. If you've ever been there, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So Vanessa was at one of our first fellows, but so too was Magic Tolba, a uh, Sudanese-born man who went on to win the Commonwealth Prize for his book, and he was one of our first fellows as well. But Chloe Higgins, who went on to write The Girls, and and this is a non-fiction memoir, what she calls grief memoir. This book won the... The Girls won the Victorian Premier's Awards, People's Choice. It was also shortlisted in the non-fiction section of those awards. And she's now the director of the Wollongong Writers' Festival, and has done some work with us in the past as well. So she was one of our fellows, and she was actually working on that book during her fellowship with us. Fiona Murphy, which was signed with text and won the Monash Prize. And Michelle Freeman has just been signed up by an agent. So we have a really good hit rate with our fellows. So here's what you need to do. If you're interested in being one of these, go to our website, westwords.com.au, or you can drop us a... uh, drop me an email at james at westwards.com.au and we'll give you some details. But we're going to be choosing those in the next month or so. So uh, jump on in there, read, read the guidelines, um, pay attention to the uh, support material you send because we do read that. We take that stuff, stuff very seriously. And um, if you're fortunate enough to get one of these, I think it can be a really important stage or a Kickstarter in your career. Another opportunity is the Pinarolo Illustrators Residency. Pinarolo, as I've said before, is the uh, cottage up in Blackheath run by Margaret Hamilton, who ran Margaret Hamilton Books and is a bit of a doyen of the children's book industry in this country. And it's a week-long residency with mentorship from her, but also space and uh, room and time to work on your illustrations so that's on our website as well everything we talk about is on our website now if you live in the blacktown city area and you're a keen writer now uh, you can join the blacktown merrill prize the winners are online if you want to have a look at what kind of uh people what kind of writing won this but there's a poetry section and a and a prose section for a whole bunch of age ranges including adult so please go and have a look at that Blacktown Merrill Writers' Prize. We're very proud to be associated with that. The Liverpool Library at the moment, until the 27th of August, is some, a, a wonderful exhibition of Iranian art called Birds of a Feather. Some of this art is really breathtaking. So Iranian art at Liverpool Library. So that's pretty much it from us uh, for this fortnight. We will have another podcast up for you in a fortnight's time. But in the meantime, again, please head to our website and have a look at what we do and what we offer. We'll have more news, views and interviews next time. Keep an eye out for those readings on our YouTube channel. And our mini masterclasses are going to be back in business. We've done 20, I think 23 of those. We're in the process of putting some more of those together at the moment. But if there's anything at all that you can think of that we can do to help you in your career, please get in touch with us. We're always looking for new ideas for programs we can run and the ways we can help, so please get in touch either via our website or you can email admin at westwards.com.au or james at westwards.com.au and we'll be in touch and we will chat with you then. But until such time as that, as we always say, be creative.